continuing our series called Life Verse, uh, where each one of the presenters has been asked to share on a particular verse which has been meaningful or inspirational, encouraging in uh, our, our journey with God in the hopes that it would also be uh, encouraging possibly to you. You will often hear from this pulpit, regardless of who is standing up here, that uh, we believe Christianity is not about religion, but it's about relationship. Our belief, ultimately as Christians, is that the cause of our troubles, collectively and individually, historically and currently, are the result of a broken relationship with our Creator, Father God. Isaiah, in uh, 53, verse 3, puts it this way, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The hymn who that verse speaks about 800 years before his birth was Jesus Christ. Jesus came to restore this broken relationship with God through his life, through his teaching, through the willing sacrifice of his own innocent and good life in his death and by the power of his resurrection. The good news that we share is that by putting our faith and trust in the grace and forgiveness he's given us, we can be restored in our relationship with God. Not just in heaven, not just in the hereafter, but now as we walk through this journey of life. We can speak with God through prayer. And God, through his Holy Spirit, which is his free gift, speaks to us. He teaches us. He guides us into truth and into love and into his plan for our lives. God speaks to us in many ways. He speaks to us through scripture, through our trials and tribulations, through our joyous experiences, through the words and lives of others. Sometimes he speaks through a whisper in the quiet of our hearts, other times through a deep groaning in our souls, through the creation all around us, God is speaking to us. He's always there and he's never silent. And the message that he's always speaking to us is of his love for us and his desire for us to experience his blessing and all of the good that he's prepared for us. When God speaks, it illuminates truth in our hearts. And although our minds and our intellects are involved, they're the vehicle for that illumination the understanding that we receive is not the result of an exercise of intellect. It's God's gift. As the old hymns say, I was blind, but now I see. And uh, God enables us to see through his grace. All truth of any real value is truth that is revealed. It's revealed to our hearts by grace. It's a gift. And it's a gift that God gives freely to anybody who seeks it. Matthew 7, verse 7 says, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And the door, speaking about being opened, is the door to understanding God and all that he desires for you. God is not hiding anything. He knows you intimately. He created you. And he wants you to know him. He came and lived with us in the person of Jesus to reveal himself to us. He sent the Holy Spirit to teach our hearts truth, to empower us to live lives in harmonious relationship with him and with each other. And God can speak to you through anything. God could use an article from Vogue or Popular Mechanics. I'm sure he has. He speaks to us all the time through many things. But most often, he uses scripture, which is why it's so important for you to know the Bible. So, and particularly for all of us, but particularly for you young Christians, read your Bible. Get to know scripture. It's the language by which God will speak to your heart and encourage you. As Paul says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. But from time to time, God will exhale a particular verse into our minds, and we will inhale that verse into our hearts, and it becomes a fundamental guiding principle in our lives. I guess this is how I would describe uh, a life verse. So, the life verse I'd like to share on today is, in fact, embedded in a rebuke (laughs) contained in the letter from Paul to the Roman church regarding hypocrisy in chapter Romans chapter 2 and it specifically was aimed at Jewish converts who wished to continue to flirt with the Old Testament law the passage culminates with the verses 28 through 29 a man is not a Jew because he's one outwardly nor is circumcision only outward and physical no a man is a Jew because he is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit and not by the written code. Paul here is drawing a distinction again between relationship inwardly, a matter of the heart, by the spirit, and religion outwardly, a matter of the written code. That's the distinction that he's drawing. Now it's always important to consider scripture in the context it's written, so we'll read the whole section here. So this is uh, Romans 2, 1 through 4. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on another. For on whatever grounds you judge the other, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. And we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, O man, pass judgment on others, yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you disregard the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? And this is my life verse, verse 4. God's kindness leads you to repentance. So what is repentance? 
The Bible seems to talk about it a lot. There's like 53 references in the New Testament alone. Uh, Matthew 5.17, Acts 3.19, Romans 2.5. Uh, lots of verses, lots of talk about repentance. Unfortunately, with many words you encounter in Scripture, the true meaning of the word can often be distorted by religious connotations and inferences that men have attached to it. Um, my wife and I were talking about this the other way, other day, how words just even within our lifetime have kind of changed their meaning, you know, um, like awesome used to mean something else. Like when I was a kid growing up, it meant like, you know, you just achieved the top of Mount Rainier and you were looking out over cloud-banked landscape. Now it means Kimmy got a new tattoo. So, I don't know. <laughs> I was just saying the words change. So, in most dictionaries and in the minds of many Christians, the meaning of repent is to look back on past behavior with sorrow, self-reproach, and contrition. Repentance is a word that many would associate with feeling bad about yourself, feeling maybe even condemnation. It's a little bit of an antiquated religious word loaded with some connotations of fear and anger and maybe even religious works or repent, repentances mixed in for good measure. A penance being a task that one has to complete to make amends for one's sin. Well, when people, a lot of people think of repentance, they probably think maybe God is like this guy. You know, that's how they think of God, you know. Um, uh, and the message is accurate. Uh, we really are sinners and we really do need to repent. But repentance does not mean I will go flog myself over my mistakes and weaknesses psychologically. Or in the case of some historical sects, they actually flog themselves physically. Um, and weep. That's not what repentance means. Repentance has a very specific meaning describing a very specific action. It's the word, Greek word, metanoi, metanoi. And it means to change your mind or change your thinking about a thing. There's another similar word, metamelomai, and that means painful sorrow or remorseful regret. Matthew 27.3 uses that verb in describing Judas, it says that Judas repented himself after he saw Jesus being led away. And that is, that's kind of, wow, I feel bad I did that, you know. But uh, Judas didn't change his mind about Jesus. He went and hung himself. Biblical repentance doesn't lead to death. Biblical repentance leads to life. So repentance means we need to change our minds, change our thinking. About what? Well, really, pretty much about everything. 
um, because what we need to change our thinking to is we need to change our thinking, change our mind, so that we think about things the way that God thinks about things. That we value things that God values. That we regard life and truth in the context of eternity, not in the context of our short existence on this earth. And why do we need to change? Why do we need to repent? Well, the main reasons are, first, of course, God is not going to change. He's the changeless one. He doesn't change because he's the truth. We need to change because our wrong thinking is hurting us and hurting others and keeping us from God's best plan for our lives. Our lack of repentance, I don't think, makes God so much angry, like that guy, you know, who's up here before. It grieves him. It grieves him as a father is grieved when he sees a child doing something that is harmful to them. So, God looks upon us as his children. He wants us to repent, to change our thinking, to change our behavior, because he wants what's absolutely best for us. He wants blessing for us and abundant life. And he knows if we continue on in our wrong thinking, in our wrong behavior, regardless of what that particular behavior is, it will keep us from his blessing. It will keep us from all that he has for us. And thirdly, we need to change because we're being prepared. We're being prepared in this life to be citizens of a heavenly kingdom. How does the word perfection make you feel? It's a word that can make us feel a little despairing and discouraged because we're all too aware of our own imperfections. Is anybody here perfect? Raise your hand. Oh, three people in the back. That's surprising. No. I saw some of you turn around. But in fact, perfection is God's plan for you. Matthew 5, 28, Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And if perfection is God's plan for you and you're imperfect now, uh, then some changes are going to have to happen. But change is really, really hard. You need motivation for any change. And for big changes, you need big motivation. There's all sorts of motivations for change. Uh, like duty uh, or obligation. Um, guilt, maybe. Um, needing to please others. Uh, pride. Maybe status. Fear. All those could be motivations for change. But I would suggest they're not the best motivations for us as followers of Christ. And rarely do they produce 
any really positive or lasting change in our lives. God doesn't want our motivation for change to be fear. In John 4.18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. That's first John, not John. So what is perfect love? His perfect love for us is what this is talking about. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Why is there no fear in the perfect love of God? Because fear has to do with punishment. And we're no longer under the law. We're no longer guilty before God. We're no longer dreading the punishment of God. We're forgiven and we're redeemed and we're beloved in Christ. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Let me rephrase that. It might make it more understandable. If your life is still motivated by fear and ruled by a sense of judgments and punishments, then you have yet to understand the perfect and complete love that God has for you and the grace and love he has extended to you through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. So instead of fear, I would offer this as a motivation for change. Seek God, seek out his love, his grace, and his kindness. It is his kindness that leads us repentance Hebrews 4 verses 15 through 16 encourages us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but we have one who was tempted in every way that we are yet was without sin so let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We need God's grace for real change. The kind of change that makes a fundamental difference in our lives. And a revelation of God's kindness is what leads us to change. Not anger, not guilt, not condemnation, not feelings of inadequacy or shame. It is in perceiving how great and how unconditional and uncompromising and how complete his forgiveness and love for us are that melts our hearts, our often hard and stubborn hearts, and enables us to see how God views us in Christ. And then we can embrace the plan that he has for us and set aside our own to lose our life and find the one that he has for us. The good news is that God's kindness is stretched out to all of us in Christ. We need to reach out and take hold of it.
God wants to lead us to repentance because he wants to lead us to a better place, ultimately to the absolute best place. And a revelation of the great kindness that God has shown us in Christ is a powerful motivation in our lives to want to change, to become like him. And along the way, his kindness is leading us and guiding us through those changes. So the worship team is going to come back up now. And we're going to celebrate the kindness of God as we take communion together. We invite you to take communion with us if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, this week, help us to seek out your kindness and your grace to lead us, to help us make the changes that we need to make in our lives to be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, to be like him and to be like you, to receive your blessing and your abundant life. Amen. I'm going to leave you last with this verse from Ephesians leave this up on the screen but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trans in our trans trespasses it is by grace you've been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ in order that in the coming ages he might display the surpassing riches of his grace demonstrated by his kindness to us in Christ Jesus.